With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the flagship of Bantering the Blue Shirts. We are recording this on Tuesday, December 3rd, because the New York Rangers played on Monday, or you could say they they skated on Monday because I don't Yeah, it's tough to call it played, right? They yeah. they didn't quite play. They were there. They By the way, I'm Mike. I think we've been bad at introducing ourselves. Tom is Tom on Mike. In the unlikely event this is your first podcast. Yeah, you know, that's something I'll, it's we should make that a <laughs> habit because we're just assuming that the same people are listening to us every week, which it's good, but we want to add new people to the fold because that's how uh this show becomes popular. So if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We're glad to have Thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm glad to be in your ears. As am I. And uh, you know, earlier this, this year, Tom, I had like, when I used a Q-tip, I had the top part of the Q-tip get stuck in my ear and it was well, in there for like, unfortunate. it was in there for like, no exaggeration, like five or six weeks. And I'm just like, a, as a dumb guy, I was like, you know what? Maybe my ear just lost hearing. And then I mentioned it like offhand when I went to the doctor. And he was like, oh, yeah, I can take a look. And he's like, well, you got a lot of cotton in that ear. And I was like, yeah, oh. I was going to ask, how did you come to the realization that you had lost the, the Q-tip? See, I didn't. I went swimming a bunch during the summer. And then well, when that I probably made it worse. When I came out of the water, like there would be a crackling in my ear. And I was like, what's that about? Because... I used to get swimmers here as a kid, but nothing like this. And I realized it was just like the salt water soaking the cotton. And uh, anyway, they used like really long pliers and they got it out of my head. And ever since then, I can hear again. But yeah, I forgot how we got here. Oh, yeah, I'm in your ears in a podcast. And I hope you haven't been eating um, because it's hard to describe the color of the cotton when it came out of my ear. Anyway. Yeah, we don't need to go in that direction. Um, <laughs> We can talk it about. It looks like the Vegas Golden Knights bronze, I guess, is one way to tie it back in. Do you like their jerseys, Tom? You know, I'm okay with them. I'm a fan of any time the team, or, or rather, any team decides to go in a different direction because it feels that we have so many of the same uniforms, uh, whether it's, you know, it's red true. or blue. Uh, like having them. They decided to go in a completely different direction. I just hate and the white gloves. I like the road jersey, the road See, whites. I'm a fan of the white I hate, gloves. No, I think it's kind of god damn. What are you a butler? It's class. It's classy. It's different. Classy. It's, yeah. They're gonna get it's dirty. It's different. It just looks bad. But it's a different look. It's, it's like something... when goalies have predominantly white leg pads. They just look like shit in the middle of but, the season. Well, that's, I believe, is sort of intentional. Um, I'm no goalie expert, so if someone listening to this is, feel free to correct me. But my understanding with the white pads was if you are a shooter, you're looking up, you see so much white, you're kind of losing 
uh, uh, perception yeah, of what yeah. part of the net there is where I think there was one goalie that tried to have um, a crisscross on their pads to sort of make it look like uh, the, netting. The, the netting and the league was like, yeah, nah, bro, you can't really do that. See, if That's I was a goalie, cheating. I'd go one step further and just have a, a picture of like the star player on the other team. A picture of their parents uh, engaged in intercourse on my pads. Well, I don't know if the league would ever allow, you know, some uh, some graphics and like that. And they call the NFL the No Fun League. Jeez Louise. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, like, I think you could do some fun things with vinyl wraps on the pads um, to sort of, you know, play some head games, but. Are you saying you know, it would be frowned upon to have parents in, engaging in coitus, Tom? That's how we all got here, buddy. Well, I think the the league is trying to be family friendly. You know that Although, bear that rummaged through your garbage? He got I, here through coitus, just like that. He did. Bear coitus. Anyway, um, family friendly league. I agree. Rangers. Uh, what happened in, in early? Uh, like, let's. You want to go backwards or start from? Let's let's start at the beginning. So since our last show, in the beginning, the word was oh no, not that <laughs> beginning. Uh, everyone got off an arc apparently. Um, yeah, the Rangers won three to two against the Carolina Hurricanes. Tom, bit of a nail biter. It was a big nail biter, and Hank was brilliant. The tank. I think, he, I think he had forty-one saves, and. Adam Fox did Adam Fox things and revenge Brent, game against the Carolina Hurricanes. Brendan Smith scored a goal, which was fun. Uh, but I think this ties into something I knew we were going to talk about, which is Zabanajad scored. And that means that Zabanajad's back. In the, our last couple shows, we spent a lot of time talking about like what happens to the lineup when Mika's back. And, uh, you know, in the, in the, I think it's four games that have taken place since our last show. Mika Zibanejad scored a couple goals, and he's looked like Mika Zibanejad. So yeah, I'd say we it's also been heard that good. he did not suffer a concussion. Um, yeah, to, as a point of clarity, it was not a concussion, according to uh, uh, Brett Sigrillis. I can never get. I don't know how to say his last name. I know how to spell it. Um, Although it's important, though, I think Zibanejad said there were days where it felt like um, a concussion, mm. but nonetheless. For the if you're keeping a file at home, this is not filed under concussion. Although Zabanajet yeah. has had, you know, quite a few in his career to date. But um, yeah, um, I would say Zabanajet being back has been mostly good. I think we can focus on the good for now. Um, we'll talk about some of the negatives. Mostly, it's where he's been on the power play and how it's sort of thrown everything out of whack. Yeah. Um, because he had the power play goal in that first game, but since then the power play has looked a little goofy, and some of the decisions like moving Panarin um, to the other wing, things like that, a lot of questions. Especially because it's tough when like there are parts of like the Panarin is like it's what it's broke, it's not broke. Don't fix it, right? But right, you get Zibanejad back. Of course, you have to get him ice time, and of course he has to go on the power play because he's making Zibanejad. And well, beginning yeah. of the season, he was he and Panarin with this uh, unbelievable one-two punch on the man advantage, and now, you know, the it felt like the momentum that was building on that Rangers power play is kind of foiled. But uh, I, let's just do a quick rundown, just bang, 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 Tom. The Rangers beat Carolina, uh, and then it looked like they were gonna beat the Boston Bruins, uh, 
Yep. Um, it looked a lot like that. You know, Booch had a goal. Heedle had a goal. And I was really, like, feeling it. And then um, the Bruins... Held a handbasket. Yeah, in the third, and then they won it in overtime. And that was the Thanksgiving showdown spectacular special, um, by the way. It was a great Black Friday gift uh, to see, you know, uh, Ryan Strom <laughs> puck watching and, you know, but it yeah. happens. And then the Rangers, four to nothing. Uh, Gorgiev had a shutout against the Devils. Of course, beating the Devils is a lot like, you know, you know, running faster than a than a turtle or something. Um, but in that game, uh, before the show, I was just looking at like some of the numbers. I, that was the game where the Rangers had two shorthanded goals, one from Mika, one from Jesper. It was very nice to see Jesper Fast score a goal again. He just has three on the year now. Um, Fox scored on the power play off of a gorgeous pass from Capo Caco. That's nice. Chuba is continuing to start picking up points again. That's nice. But the Rangers got their asses handed to them at five on five. Um, you know, it was four to nothing. The fourth goal was Brady Shea on the empty net. I think the, you know, the unadjusted uh, shot share for that Devils game was the Rangers had a 36.62 Corsi four and a 37.58 expected goals for. Yeah, it wasn't Tom. pretty. Not at all. 37.58 against the Devils. The Devils might be, Dmitry Filipovich said on Twitter today, the Devils might be the worst team in hockey right now. Uh, well, I would say Detroit is worse. I think they're on pace to have something like 47 points over the entire season. So I would put them Yeah, but Detroit, worse. the point I think, the point Dmitry made or was making is, like, Detroit is trying to lose. Like, they're built to be bad so that they get a lottery pick. The Devils spent so much and well yeah i guess in that context it makes sense yeah but i i agree with you like i feel like if you had a seven game series between the devils and the red wings the devils would win but holy hell for the rangers to i mean a four nothing win you look at it and you're like hey 33 save uh shutout for georgiev and that's awesome uh because you know he's actually he's had a, a rough couple games and hank has kind of been playing uh more as of late which has been another kind of interesting you know, subplot that's developed is, you know, something we keep an eye on throughout the season, Tom, is how many starts Hank gets. But uh, just to wrap up what's happened since our last show, the Rangers uh, played the Golden Knights yesterday, which is, like you said, that's why we were recording tonight, not Monday night. And uh, the Rangers got their butts handed to them uh, in a big, bad way against Vegas, who... In the, early in the first and early in the second, the Rangers just played terrible hockey and they got absolutely railroaded. So, you know, it's it's been kind of a goofy two and two in the last, you know, or technically two one and one in the last four games. But it doesn't feel like that, does it? Because no, not at all. Yeah. Thanks to some great goaltending and some special teams play. You know. They came away with a two one and one record since the last show, but oh boy, like you're saying, there's with the Zubanajad coming back, there's a lot to dissect from the team and and how it's played as of late. Um, I guess I don't know where do you want to start. I mean, we're already in the thick of the show here, but there's a lot to talk about. You want to talk about Mika scoring? That makes me happy. We can talk about Mika. Scoring. Yeah, I mean, I would talk about and and part of it, it's like like I said, there's good and bad. And in my opinion, 
the way he scored his first goal, it was this this great feed on the power play. Um, you know, he was in his sort of area on on the you know side of the net, and he you know puts it right in. And it seemed that ever since that point, that's the look that they're going for on the power play. They're trying to uh, finesse it in there. They did it a couple of times against the Devils where it was unsuccessful because the Devils knew that they were looking for that play. Yeah. And then Kako Kako was uh, eventually was able to get it through to uh, to Fox when he scored. But yeah, ever since um, it's just been a lot of projection, like everyone knows what the Rangers are trying to do, and that includes having four right handed shots on the top unit and three left-handed shots on the second unit, which makes no sense whatsoever. You would think you could maybe swap one or two pieces, but like, again, I'm no expert at this or by any stretch. It's just, I would think you'd look at something that's not working and maybe you make an adjustment and then, you know, if it doesn't work again, you try something new, but, that's my two cents on that. Yeah, it's 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 hard to believe that I think Zvanajad, he's also picked up a couple, you know, a bunch of assists. So he actually has four points in his four games back, which is awesome. Um, but it is weird to kind of, you know, what we've taken away in these last four games is that the offense looks a little more. I don't know what the right term is here, Tom, but like I would say it's come a little bit unraveled. Like the things that were working, even though, in my opinion, the offense was pretty one dimensional and, uh, you know, relying on the the most unpredictable chemistry in the world between Ryan Strom and uh, Artemi Panarin. But I also yeah. have the opinion that if you put, you know, Artemi Panarin with uh, the kangaroo and it's Joey's holding the hockey stick that Joey's going to pick up a couple goals here and there um, and not to drag Ryan Strom because. <laughs> you know, to be frank, he's I, I I'm beginning to say this more and more. You can't deny his skills like, well, yeah, in, in certain mean, aspects of the game. He's very good. I think he's a great passer, um, especially when there's some open ice to work with. He's made some gorgeous passes. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I, I didn't mean to get us back on the Ryan Strom thing. God help us. But uh, no, it's it's OK. But like I would say you wouldn't know the exact the, the right word to describe it. I would say that the Rangers are trying to and I don't even know if this is the right word. They're trying to retrofit their offense. In other words, they had a look that they liked and then Zibanejad goes out. And the team had to try some things differently. And you saw the success, whether it be Panarin, the Orphan mentioned Strom, Pavel Buchnevich, uh, Philip Hedl. And just because Zibanejad is back, the assumption was, okay, we need to put Zibanejad back where he was. Mm. Um, and to David Quinn's credit, he didn't try to tweak too many things at first. But then again, like you said, Zibanejad has played well, so because he is up to speed, he's been more willing to make those tweaks. And I, I would say that the biggest detriment is that I feel like we've heard less about Heedle in terms of playing time since Zibanejad has come back because now you have Strom in the middle because they don't want him on the wing, 
and that leaves Heedle as the number three center. Um, and I don't think that's the best look for the Rangers. Yeah. See, I was actually, I was about to ask you, like looking at, uh, just, you know, what the lines have looked like in the last three games specifically on left wing lock. So, you know, it's the KBZ line has been the second most frequent line, um, in the last three games. And then it's the first and third most frequent combinations are Panarin, Strom and Kako, Panarin, Strom and Hedl, which makes me wonder if you had to choose, you like, let's just say, Tom, you have to keep KBZ together. What is the other line? Do you want Hedl or Kako with Panarin and Strom? Um, I mean, it's to me, tough. it depends on whether or not Hedl's lining up at center. Right. If Hedl's yeah. at center, then you have him there. But if Hedl's on the wing, then you it should keep... be Kako. Yeah. Yeah, and ultimately, I think that there's still this thought, and again, I could be wrong, but. It certainly seems that they're trying to see everything that they have in Strom as someone who is a impending RFA. And given the team's relative lack of center depth, he's someone that maybe they say, oh, we have this find here who's can be on the second line, can be on the third line, because it's not like Brett Howden has really stepped up and showed anything. Um they obviously sent down Leah Sanderson for a reason. So it feels like they have you know the Ryan Strom could be Tom is Ryan Strom. We might be able to look at him as like a donut. And I mean, what I mean by that is like a spare tire that you use to get to where you have to go to get a, a, the next tire fixed on. Because with Leah Sanderson, as you were starting to say before I rudely cut you off, Oh, it's you fine. Know, not quite ready. And, you know, maybe that means you say to Ryan Strom, hey, sign you for one more year because Leas isn't ready. And we have Philip Hedl and we can kind of split you guys in terms of ice time. And, you know, that's I'm sure this is nothing shocking. But, you know, I know we've also talked about Ryan Strom like every show, but he has become, frankly, one of the biggest storylines of the season, not just because of his play and like what his counting stats look like, but also frankly, because those counting stats directly, you know, have an impact on what the immediate future looks like. Because when you look at this team, like the reality we all embrace and are aware of is like Chris Crowder's days as a Ranger are numbered. Um, but that might not be true for Strom, um, despite what some fans might want. And it also might not be true for Tony D'Angelo. Like, the other yeah. thing that's gone on, frankly, uh, this season that has been because, you know, we recently did a roundtable on banter where we, you know, looked at, you know, some of the storylines and guys who have been the most impressive, yada, 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 from the first quarter of the season. And, you know, D'Angelo, you know, he, he recently cooled his cooled off a tiny bit into, you know, two games without picking up a point. Um, but his ice time has continued to to climb. I think he played. He almost played 24 minutes against Vegas, actually. But uh, and he's got a new partner now too. So yeah, where they there's just there's just a lot, and it, it makes me curious. Also, to kind of tie this into something I know we were planning on talking about, which is the offense is kind of like I said, come undone a little bit with Zibanejad back, and now we know that Mark Stahl is nearing return, and I I don't think I'm alone when I say this, Tom. I think it should be Hayek that goes to the AHL. 100%. Yeah. 
and let Lindgren be on the third pair, and then, you know, or I guess the second pair, whatever, uh, just not on the first pair, and, yeah. you know, let Mark Stahl, because this is not, by the way, what I think is the optimum uh, path. I think this is the reasonable path in that there's a probability it happens with the current coaching staff. And the fair path, if we're being frank, because the Lindgren fair path has is an well. important point to make, right? Because in the in the you need to earn your ice time thing, like I'm not sure Lieber Hayek has done too much to right keep his roster spot, frankly. Yeah, and it's it's been tough for him too because like this is not a um, it's you can look at the situation as something that he's being. He's been given an assignment. He's trying to do the best that he can, and he's just struggling. And he's someone that if he goes back to Hartford, he can gain some confidence. He can get a breather because I feel that he has been, um, you know, under fire playing on the top pairing with Truba for the majority. And Lindgren, he came up. He was put with Adam Fox because there's been some familiarity with there and, you know, the various international tournaments um, in, in prior years. And it would be the wrong message if Stahl comes back into the lineup and it goes, oh, yeah, Ryan Lindgren, you're going to sit out. Yeah, um, tough break, kid. I think that would be the wrong message to send from, frankly, I think. I'm not huge on Lindgren's game. I think he's, you know, at best, I think he projects to be like a third pair guy. And, you know, he's more of a kind of a throwback guy who plays within his game. And that's fine. Like, you can definitely have a guy like that on the third pair. But he's really played within his, like, he's playing within himself. He's not making what I consider to be, like, really bad errors. Like, he's not making a, as many bad reads as Hayek. And, you know... To be fair to he's Hayek, an offense too. Yeah, but to be fair to Hayek, I think a lot of this is just tied to the fact that he's not—he's not, he's not first pair material right now. You're throwing him out there to the Lions, right? If if he's had a different, if he's gone through like a different deployment than what we've seen. Maybe there's a different story as to what he looks like and what his underlying numbers are. But the thing is, like when Truba is playing away from Libor Hayek, he's a different player, and right. I understand, like, in, a, in the story that I had that went up for banter today, meaning Tuesday, you know, I looked back at a quote uh, where Quinn was saying, you know, he was kind of hoping in, in some regard that having Hayek with Truba would kind of accelerate Hayek's development, which was really fascinating to me that he had that perspective specifically for defensemen, considering, you know, what we've seen in regards to the way he's deployed young forwards. It's just, uh, it's different, I guess, is one way to put it, Tom. Oh, yeah. It's been a different sort of philosophy. And I wonder if any of that has to do with just the overall coaching staff, where there's this sort of this one mindset for forwards. And again, it could be the simple concept of when you're looking at ice time, Quinn as a coach has generally rolled three lines and it's not like you can really roll only two defense pairs in today's NHL with so many teams having depth of scoring your you first and second pair will get burnt out. So you need to be able to have a third pair that can, um, 
what's the best way to put this? If anything, it's just keep the status quo. Do no bad, you know, do no good. Just yeah, neutral. Just, exactly. Just don't get in too much trouble out there. <laughs> like, you know, just break as even or as close to even in the goal differential. Try not to bleed chances. Stay out of the box. Like, don't try to be a hero. Yeah, that you know what? That's the best way to sum it up is just don't try to be a hero. Um, one of my favorite heroes, Tom, is the lovely people who do ads for us. You know, that was a really good transition. It was awful, but you know what? I'm trying to be very polite and very positive uh, <laughs> because you know what? It could be bad, but, you know, I don't need to point that out. It might be something that a previous podcast host might have done, uh, you know. We don't talk about that son of a bitch anymore. We do talk about these wonderful sponsors, though. And just like that, through the power of radio and online broadcasting, we are back. And uh, what do you think that ad was? Because we don't really get to choose what the ad is. So you want to venture a guess what the ad's going to be this week, Mike? I'm going to guess it's about high quality, uh, like, folded steel like ginsu knives like you used to see on like uh late night tv ads like knives that are so sharp that they like cut through bullshit and like you can just drag it across a piece of paper and the piece of paper catches fire that's how sharp it is that's an interesting called hot knives hotknives.com hotknives.com i'm scared uh... i'm very scared to look at that website because i don't know people are strange tom it's the one thing I've learned in my 33 years on the planet is that people are people are strange and they, and they like strange things. On that note, um, in strange things, uh, Mike, I have a very simple question for you. What do you got? Hit me. So I'm not going to name any names. And after I get your obvious answer, I'll obviously go. But if you were a team like the New York Rangers, mm -hmm. would you trade a player currently worth Oh boy. Uh, 7.3 goals above replacement, 1.2 wins going. above replacement for a player currently a negative 1.8 goals above replacement and a negative 0.3 wins above replacement. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, so what Tom is referring to is an article in which uh, Larry Brooks said that the Rangers have a problem in, in which they get blown out a lot. Um, and something that I think he was trying to identify is maybe part of the problem is that, you know, with the impending departure of Chris Kreider, you know, a physical player, like a North-South guy like Kreider, the Rangers might find themselves to have an excess of kind of, I guess, East-West skilled guys. Uh, you know, I want too much skill. Yeah. Then that is where, obviously, I hit a roadblock in the logic because in the modern game you want skill furthermore you can get like a, a depth north south guy for peanuts compared to what the cost is for a skilled guy anyway uh the point that brooks like a, a theory he floated out there or at least a proposition a hypothesis whatever you want to call it hypothetical trade idea was moving buchnevich uh for josh anderson of the columbus blue jackets who i know is a very popular player uh kind of with the old school folks uh just because he's kind of a i don't know he's a bit of a throwback in terms of you know what we used to like used to call like the arch you know, like the archetypal power forward right you know he's a big 
guy. He throws the body, and you know, in Columbus, he's had success scoring goals, but uh, not so much this year. You know, he's a younger One guy. One goal in twenty games. Yeah. Two assists, three points. Yeah. So, twenty-five. His idea of moving Buchnevich for him to me was very much like, and I'm not one of the people those people who like whenever Brooksy writes something, I don't roll my eyes and go like, here we go again. You know, I'm generally interested in him, frankly, because his connection to the team, his history with the team. I do think he has a lot of like thought provoking ideas and he tends to, you know, he has a gift for writing stories that give you a reaction one way or another. I just think this one was pretty off base in terms of the logic behind it. Because like you said, why it why is Here's it ha- why is it a problem to have that much skill and the cuz he you know the thing is he said you know generally we can look at Kreider moves on Kravstov replaces him you know let's just say in like the top 6 top 9 next season Kravstov will replace him and then all of a sudden you have i guess an overabundance of fancy east west guys as opposed to you know, I don't know. I guess we could categorize Jimmy VC as kind of a north-south guy, um, like fitting the more towards the mold of a Kreider or a Josh Anderson, um, right? From the perspective of someone like Brooks, um, you know, who you know has kind of an older, older school view uh, and perspective. Which, by the way, is not that doesn't mean it's wrong. It just, you know, it's the problem I have with that perspective is that it's. Why yeah. is Buchnevich the suggestion here? Like, that's yeah, it, my he biggest even, problem. He even went out of his way to say, I'm not trying to scapegoat him or, like, lampoon him or whatever he said. But he did specifically mention Buchnevich, which to me is surprising for a lot of reasons. The, the first of which is, as you mentioned, he's been, I don't know, according to some metrics, like the Rangers... Second best forward. They've been pretty fucking good. Panarin, third best. If you know, if you, if not for Mika's injury, I think he'd be, you know, very comfortably the third best forward. Mm-hmm. He's twenty four. Uh, he we he has a reasonable cap hit uh, through next season, and at the end of that deal, he's an RFA. Uh, you know, he's a guy who can play both wings, although you know he's better in his natural wing and. I just, uh, he's finally looking like the player the Rangers thought he was going to be. He looks like a top six winger. He's producing like a top six winger. Why in God's name would they trade him, Tom, for a guy like you mentioned has just been, you know, he's completely, you know, reversed any momentum he had in Josh Anderson. Like, here's the thing. I understand the concept of wanting to have balance on the lineup and on, you know, on paper, Josh Anderson is not a bad player and he's probably a player that could add some things to a value to the Rangers. But here's the thing. He mentions that there's this uncertainty with Kreider, right? Why not? He's older than uh, Booch, by the way. I think that's yeah. He'll be 26 in May. um, And he's an RFA after this year. He had signed, I think it was for like 1.875, but here, here's here's a concept that I would I'm probably going to explore this at some point. Um, so if anyone's listening to this, I hope you don't decide decide to write about this. Um, but if you do, that's fine. It's you know my fault for sharing. Tom will just hunt you down with one of those hot knives.com. <laughs> so 
Kreider is someone who we all think is most likely going to be traded, although we can't rule out the potential that maybe he comes back. But with that in mind, wouldn't you look at a team and say, hmm, we have Chris Kreider and we would like to trade him ideally for, you know, someone that can help us because we're a team that's, you know, we're, re we're rebuilding, but it's not like we're um, a young team that is still years and years and years away. Why not find a team that you can get a decent draft pick? You can maybe get a youngish prospect or someone in the Josh Anderson mold that's older, still young, plays a north south game, you know, with with some with some upside. That would be the play if I were Jeff Gordon. I wouldn't look to say, "All right, I'm going to trade a skilled guy in Buchnevich for a north south guy." I'm going to take the north south guy in Kreider, who I'm most likely not going to re-sign and try and get, you know, someone a little worse than he is with a draft pick or a prospect. But that's just me. Yeah, I 100% I agree. I just think you don't have to take away from a strength of the team this year to, you know, try and deal with a problem that's technically not really a problem, especially because, you know, Buchnevich can be part of the solution, not just this year, but you know, for the foreseeable future. I, the thing that was the most mystifying about the whole thing to me, Tom, is why this fixes the Rangers problem of getting blown out. Why would, why would Josh, why would Josh Anderson replacing the very productive Pavel Buchnevich fix the Rangers getting blown out? Uh, I would imagine the solution to that problem lies in the defense, the tactics of the defense and the, you know, the personnel as well, you know, and also frankly for this team to kind of come to terms with the fact that they're going to be a roller coaster team this year. When things go well, the offense is going to be fun. The power play will connect and they'll score. There'll be games where they score four or five goals. And then the real problem is this defense is so bad that it's going to bleed scoring chances against and, you know, passes are going to go across Royal Road and as good as Lundqvist and Georgiev are, they're going to allow a lot of goals. Josh Anderson doesn't fix that. Yeah. Subtracting Buchnevich for Josh Anderson certainly doesn't fix that. Yeah. And it's like, again, it, it's the one thing that I think we all can agree has not really been addressed, which is the defense, the structure, the tactics. It's just been the same old, same old day after day, game after game. And more often than not, it's been masked by goaltending being very good or yeah. having, you know, players like Artemi Panarin really do some amazing things on the ice. And yeah, guys like Panarin and uh, to a lesser extent, I would say like D'Angelo has... There have been games where D'Angelo has been so good at times and, you know, Fox, you know, you know, he really wasn't scoring a lot early in the season, but now, you know, that we're 25 games in, you know, the counting stats are catching up to his play, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I know I've said it a bunch, but it's really great to see, you know, in the past four games or so he's continued to score, which you absolutely love to see, but it just, it, I don't know how it's not obvious to, you know, 
some of the beat writers and you know some fans and analysts like this team is not good in terms like and it's not good because of the defense the defense is the problem like there may be aspects of the defense that look good in terms of oh they got guys who hit they got guys who block shots and they got all these guys you know who are young and yeah there's going to be growing pains but What's unique about the Rangers is that the depth they have on the right side, in ter- especially in terms of guys who can move the puck, is fantastic. But the guys Great who play the left the side, the guys who play the left side are a goddamn mess, Tom. Yeah, the, the side of the blue line that should be easier from an organizational standpoint is a mess on the current roster. You have Brendan Smith playing on the wing. You have Mark Stahl, who's been out of the lineup. And now we'll come back in the lineup. You have Brady Shea, who, uh, you know, has been a kind of a tale of two seasons, in my opinion. He, at times he's looked okay, and but, you know, the, the underlying numbers, again, are not wonderful. And you look at the way he's played, and you're like, all right, well, I just don't think he's going to be the Brady Shea we hoped he would be. Now we just hope he can be a valuable player and someone who's worth the contract that he's signed to. Mm-hmm. And you have Lieber Hayek and, and Ryan Lindgren, you know, two rookies on this team and gosh, it just, ah, it's, I I don't know why Josh Anderson would fix that problem is that that's the thing that mystifies me here. Yeah. And again, it's just a throwaway thing. And I know in the past it's, you see some of these stories and it's almost like floating a trial balloon. Um, But yeah, like, I can't see any reason why Columbus would do this team any favors considering we signed their best player in the off season. Yeah. So, we took their, the heart and their lungs in free agency. Yeah. And, and don't now, forget the blue jackets did make a late run uh, to get Panarin back and they came up short. You know, a lot of people are saying that maybe they did it just as a, you know, we tried, we tried, but I don't think you say like, Oh, you know, let's offer a, you know, a $10 million check. And if he signs it, whatever. I mean, I, I'm go, pretty oh, sure fuck. he actually accepted. Yeah, our exactly. Offer. Like, what do you do in that case? Like, Oh shit. I didn't think he would take it. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, that is being identified as the problem just because to me, it's, I think it's part of the gap between, you know, looking at underlying numbers and, you know, looking at analytics and what they tell us and, the reason analytics are, I feel like a lot of people don't grasp why analytics are considered to be valuable because we use them not only to evaluate players, but also because we can trace them. We can use them pre- to accurately project performance better than we would otherwise. Uh, for example, if you saw Jonathan Chichu score however many goals he scored when he was playing with Joe Thornton, you might say to yourself, you know what? That guy is going to be in the Rocket Richard every year. Um, and that's what the eye test might have told you, even if you said to yourself, playing with Jared Thornton certainly doesn't hurt. But when we you look at numbers and you consider the context of things and you say things like, you know, leading into the season, I was like, you know who had a great season last season? Cam Atkinson. You know who's going to have a really rough season this season? Cam Atkinson. Cam Atkinson. Why? Because he's not playing with Panarin. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a great young center, but you can't replace Panarin. Um, and as you can see with, you know, Josh Anderson's stats, it's, it's had a, you know, an effect that's kind of trickled down the lineup in terms of 
you know, Columbus is having a real hard time duplicating or replacing what Panarin did. And that's not surprising. Um, but I just don't think, you know, to kind of go back to what I was talking about, it's really fascinating to me, Tom, that there's all this kind of tiptoeing around what the central problem is. And I know that, you know, a lot of fans will just say, you know, like, fire Lindy Ruff, what are we waiting for? Um, but it's, I think that the problems go a little deeper than even that. I think you have to look at the front office's decision, like decision-making to plan for this season. Uh, you know, looking looking at the blue liners that are here. I'm, I would be, I would honestly love to know if the plan from day one of training camp was always to have Brendan Smith play wing. Like that would be interesting. I, yeah. I would really like to know that. I also would like to know when they sat down and talked about Kevin Shattenkirk and the buyout, did they entertain Brendan Smith as the buyout? And did they entertain Mark Stahl? And more specifically, did they ever get into we would really like to have another Freddie Clayson. Well, yeah, that to me is the biggest problem. I mean, there's a lot of problems, but you sign Michael Haley, you sign Greg McKegg, you sign Phil DiGiuseppe, all of these fringe fourth line plug and play type players, but do, you know, jack shit on the defense. Oh, we have the kids. You know, we're going to be able to plug and play them. Yeah, just Danny fine. Regan and, you know, even a uh, Stephen Fogarty is not on his right. ELC anymore. Like mm-hmm. you already have Matt Pileski. Yeah. You already have Matt Pileski. Yeah. <laughs> you have Lettieri down there. Like, and honestly, you know, it's important to say that the investment in those guys on those kind of one way deals and, you know, in Hartford who are making good money is, you know, journeymen who can help Hartford is like, that serves a good purpose in terms of helping Hartford develop. But, you know, I think it's safe to say it helps guys like Joey Keene develop. Uh, you know, when Kravstov was there, it certainly should help. It should help, hopefully, Leas Anderson. Speaking of which, I haven't looked at uh, Leas' numbers since Hart- he's been back in Hartford. But um, it's why a little bit of money wasn't set aside for not only just a Freddie Clayson, but how about Freddie Clayson himself? Yeah. Uh, And like, this may not be the best example um, for obvious reasons, but when the Rangers demoted Wade Redden um, because he was making way too much money and not being a quality NHL defenseman, he was a really quality piece in Hartford as a teacher, as a mentor, as a, here's how you play the game. Here's how you go through the ups and and downs. a, A professional guy who had a reputation to uphold. He, served himself very well with how he uh how he acted and handled that demotion because i think for a lot of guys you know they they don't like it i mean for example like think about ryan grop who didn't report uh to the main mariners you know when he was assigned to the echl there have been guys who they're told they have to go uh to the hl they don't report or they say you know what i'm done or whatever um and redden i think did himself a favor in terms of his the legacy of his career and how he was viewed by his peers, especially for a post-playing career job in hockey. That you know he took it took it in a very mature, professional way. Yeah, I mean, it took him some time to get back to the NHL, and it wasn't for long. He came back in the 
uh, 2012 or the 2012, 13 um, season with the lockout year. And he split time between the blues and the Bruins um, as a 35 year old, but that's right. You know, I barely remember that credit where credit is due. And, and again, you could say, well, he was being paid quite handsomely to do so. But again, this is could for some people, it's an ego thing where it's like, you know what? Um, I've banked a lot of money already. I don't need this. I can, you know, just pout and, you know, wait for them to try and, you know, get a situation where I void my contract. And I'm sure another team would sign me as a, you know, $1 million, $2 million defender and I can, you know, fight for a spot in the league. But, you know, he, by, by and large, he, he did the right thing. And why the Rangers didn't think to maybe have that type of veteran voice on defense who not only helped the kids, but be a potential seventh D-man if, you know, said kids were not ready is something yeah. that I, I don't understand. Fully. My best guess is they said we have that player. His name is Brendan Smith but he's going to play on the fourth line. But the thing is they haven't rotated him back to D and even strength in any significant way. You know, he plays D on the PK sometimes, but that's where he's getting his ice time because they're not playing the fourth line. Like, what was it? Michael Haley, I think had like a few games where he was under five minutes. What sense does that make after calling up boo (laughs) too? Like you call the guy up and what is he doing? It just, there's just a lot of little things that, you know, uh, just especially because last season, like the Rangers problem was they arguably had too many defensemen uh, because they made the trade for McQuaid. And this season, it seems like despite the fact that they're playing one of them on the fourth line wing, they have too few who are really ready um, and, you know, can be guys who you rely on. And like, you know, and the injury to Mark Stahl has definitely exacerbated that and exposed that. But yeah. And like, I don't want to jinx anything like you brought up Mark Stahl's injury, but like, got you know, you know, heaven forbid, right? What would happen if Truba got hurt or D'Angelo or Fox, any one of those three for an extended period? Yeah, if Fox gets injured, Fox, he's been the best defenseman on the team. Like, and it's I don't even think it's very close, even with D'Angelo's like counting stats, I think. Fox has just been sensational. The fact that he's looked this good while paired with Ryan Lindgren, nothing against Lindgren, is pretty exceptional. Um, if he goes down, or like if D'Angelo... Truba, I think it'll be, it would be interesting almost to me to see what happens, because it would at least provoke a change of Hayek Truba, <laughs> as terrible yeah. as that is for me to say. But mm-hmm. at least it would serve as a catalyst for us to see something different. Um, other than, you know the rare occasions where Quinn uh, loses patience a little bit with Hayek and then he'll sit him for a couple shifts. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I guess, you know what, Tom, we should, we wanted to do this for the kind of the first time this show where we kind of touch on some headlines in the rest of the NHL before we uh, read our patrons and wrap up. So let's, let's go ahead and do that now. I guess I'll start with something that is, uh, you know, like Rangers adjacent news, Um, you know, before the season began, a lot of talk about the Rangers and the Devils and their renewed rivalry. I wrote an article about it. A lot of people wrote articles about it. I like to think that my article was pretty good. Um, Very good. Oh, thank you, sweet boy. Kiss you on the forehead. Give you a little candy. Um, like a little grandma. Pinch your cheek. Uh, I smell like death all the time. Um, but the Devils just fired John Hines. And 
that is obviously pretty big news. Uh, and it's, you know, they have the interim coach is Alan uh, Nazardine. Nazardine, I, it's another one of those names I read all the time. I haven't heard much. Um, and so that is a giant change for the Devils. We've also heard, of course, uh, it's highly, highly unlikely that Taylor Hall gets re-signed during the season, which means essentially that Taylor Hall is on the trading block. Uh, which means that a lot of these big Hail Mary moves that the Devils made in the offseason, Tom, might be for naught. The thing I tweeted earlier today, long before the show, if I told you 25, 26 games in the season that P.K. Subban would have zero power play points for the Devils, what would you tell me, Tom? I would be quite shocked. And I mean, well, let me put it this way. I would be quite shocked on one hand and on another I might say, hmm, maybe that's why there were some people on Twitter when the trade went down went, this is a decent gamble for the Devils, but I could see why it doesn't pan out because Subban over the last few years... He's overrated. Like my my too long didn't read on PK Subban is that he's overrated and overhyped. It doesn't mean he's a bad defenseman. It just means that I think he's not what a lot of people tend to think he is. But I don't think his lack of production on the power play is a direct result of him playing bad. Uh, Dan Rice, who is a peer of mine, uh, we both cover the NWHL. Dan and I are good buddies. He, you know, he also is on the Devil's Beat, um, you know, for the hockey writers. And you know, he's just said that you know PK Subban just looks like he's lost out there. And for a guy who won a Norris Trophy, that's not the sort of language you want to hear. Yeah, and it's he was very good in Montreal, and then it's almost like he had he had one very good season in Nashville where yeah, he, had he did have a great year in Nashville. He had a sixteen-goal year in Nashville, right? Yeah, and so I think it was sort of he last year he only played sixty-three games, so there's that um, element of things going on. So I wonder if it's a situation of he's just someone getting older and he's starting to go into decline. Yeah, that might be it. It's it's really, uh, you know, I never root actively against the Devils. I do have my opinions on uh, their fans and some of the chants you hear at Devils games. I'm never a big fan of teams who part of their identity is uh, the other team sucks. Um, and yes, I'm aware that the Rangers fans chant pop fan sucks. And for a long, long time, I've been saying it's ridiculous and it should stop, especially because he does not suck, even though I know it's part of the team's history and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, it's big news that the Devils uh, dropped the axe on Heinz, and it's big news for a lot of reasons, uh, in part because it's going to shape, it's going to affect in many ways this rivalry, and you know the, the Devils still project to be a very good team. And frankly, you know if they do trade Taylor Hall and they go through the even more growing pains with the change in coaching, they could end up with another good pick, Tom, um, which is looking like a more likely to be a reality in a very deep and good draft with each passing day now. Um, and the Rangers, despite... It's kind of like what we saw last season, buddy. It's the Rangers, despite their best interests, um, managed to hover a couple games above 500. And, you know, they're... In they're the wild third- card hunt. They're in the wild card hunt. Technically, they're 13, 10, and 3. And you know what? I mean, Toronto is 13, 11, and 4. And they fired their head coach. So, 
Um, and the Penguins, despite the fact that they also just lost Hornquist long term, Penguins have, without Crosby, they're 14, 9, and 4. Uh, and then it's still, I don't understand how, but Tampa is 12, 9, and 3. The Rangers have a better record, Tom, than Tampa Bay Lightning and the Montreal Canadiens. You brought up the Penguins. They're sort of like the knight in uh, Monty Python, where it's like, it's only a flesh wound. Like so Yeah, many... what the hell? Who the hell do they have left at this point? Goddamn. Malkin? Yeah. And Gensel? It's, it's funny, because Malkin's only the one who gets hurt. Yeah, and like, it's it's... I forgot who had the tweet, but it's like every year the Penguins are like this team where it's you have a line of Evgeny Malkin and on the right wing is like dirt rock and he's got like, you know, 45 points in, you know, 50 dirt games. Rock. It's just like these no name players that um, they, you know, they arise from obscurity and just produce for yeah, the, the Penguins. Yeah, the other thing is, you know, Galchenyuk, who was, you know, they got back in the, you know, their big trade, you know, obviously they got rid of Phil Kessel. Galchenyuk has not worked out. And I'm looking right now that their last three games, their top line, Malkin, Simon, Gensel. Second line, Hornquist, who just got hurt. McCann and Cahoon. That, that's not a lot of guys. <laughs> it's not a lot, Tom. Uh, and then Chris Tanev, Aston Reese, and Bluger. Is the third line apparently. So, yeah, that's a lot. Um, but you know what? The Rangers are kind of right on par with them in terms of points, which also puts a lot of things in perspective. Uh, but you know, there was a couple other big storylines, of course. I know one of the ones you wanted to touch on. We don't really like, I made sure just to mention it at the end of our uh, last flagship, but you know, the Bill Peters situation has evolved, right, Tom? Um, and we're still learning a lot. He has resigned, um, but now we're also learning that uh, there's been a lot of other inappropriate conduct from head coaches, um, especially in recent history that are beginning to come to light. Um, of course, there was the allegations by Akeem Alou, uh, which happened on, uh, happened on Twitter through social media, which I feel like is, I, I'm not sure, you know, anyone planned for social media to be able to give players a voice like this, but God, I'm glad it does. And I know that we're having a bit of a witch hunt right now in hockey in terms of these coaches that have crossed the line with uh, hitting players and kicking players uh, using, you know, verbally abusing players, you know, Babcock apparently what was the time he gave like Johan Franzen a nervous breakdown. Yeah, there's a couple of it's, and it, there's a little of, um, it's it's tough because as all of this information yeah. comes out and you know Sean Avery's also been vocal about a lot of different things um and Mark you know, Crawford's Mar- coach Dan Carcillo yeah. or rather Dan Carcillo for that matter I know yeah. um uh he's been pretty active about it uh, Avery was the one who had mentioned um Mark Crawford but I think the story goes it was something I think Chris Chelios was interviewed and he was talking That's about. Right, yeah. Yeah, it was like Chelios was talking about like, you know, what it was like, you know, be around with Babcock and it was, I guess, this game in, in Nashville and um, it was a situation where, um, you know, he was just was getting up in his face on the bench and um, it was during this time that it was not disclosed, but he was having, you know, issues with concussions. So severe just, concussions, which ended yeah. Franzen's career. 
So it was all all this stuff just sort of you know it it came to a boiling point and he had a a nervous breakdown and it was how he was um you know he he just had to focus on playing each day and it was just a really tough situation and it's 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 good that we're getting all this information out there and it's um I wonder if through this process how much of this information is going to be previously reported things that just sort of went nowhere but as you know we have more examples it's you the pieces start to to go together and and it it's not even just coaches it's just who knew what and when and chose to do nothing about it i know there's like conflicting reports and it's sort of like a he said he said with ron francis who was then yeah because it spilled over to seattle as well a team that hasn't even you know been created yet uh, yeah because ron francis is the gm there um and he was in carolina yeah and he was in carolina and so he was he was around when some of these horrible accusations happened uh you know and the god it just i don't know like it's becoming a bit of a witch hunt but i'm of the opinion like let it let let's sweep all these like like incredibly you know these these guys who sit on like their influence and power the power the position of being a head coach and they abuse it and they abuse their players through you know their egos or whatever you want to call it let it be a witch hunt let's get all these guys out of here you know and some people who might be like is is that what we really want let's just tear the band-aid off let's get let's find out what's happened encourage players to talk openly about this and also i feel like this is helping hockey give a long hard look at itself a sport that says hockey is for everyone it's not for everyone you know this this so the sport wants to tells us to you know that things like uh diversity matter and inclusion matter and you know being compassionate about uh, mental health and like you know with the, like let's talk and all these things and uh we hear these stories if it's not true in the locker rooms then it's not true if it's not true on the bench then it's not true if it's these things are happening on the ice in the locker room at the practice rink then the NHL is full of shit and hiding these guys who break these rules and cross these lines and abuse their power and privilege is a huge problem and it feels like what's happened to you tom like you said there might be stories we see like oh back in the day you know 1980 whatever this guy when he was assistant coach was known as you know having a bit of a temper and he threw hockey sticks around the locker room and like maybe back in like you know the mid 90s or late 90s that would just be like oh it's part of his character but when we look back at it from like our perspective today, a lot of these things are incredibly problematic. The thing that I always look to is like Mike Milbury went up in the stands and beat a man with his with a shoe. He has yeah, a great job. And like, that's Mike Milbury has a great job. Well, yeah, and you know, that Bobby is Hull something... has a statue up, and he's you know was has said some incredibly inappropriate things. I don't know how Bobby Hull is as revered as he is, considering the things that he said. Uh, which I don't want to get into. And the fact that, uh, you know, I forget the exact details, but I believe, you know, uh, I could be mistaken, but I believe he physically abused his wife. So accurate. Yeah. Why do, why are these things celebrated? Why are these things covered up? Why don't we talk about these things? Frankly, if we want to believe that hockey is for everyone. And if we want a 
sport that is for everyone and where we don't have this cramp happening. I don't know. I didn't mean to get on a soapbox. I'll step off a bit, Tom. I mean, I think it's an important conversation to have because it's something that you're looking at all level of hockey potentially. And it goes to a much bigger question, which maybe this will get answered. It's that how many times have we said, why is it that there's only a certain amount of people who can be head coaches in this league? Why is there only a certain amount of people who why can be general managers? 35 guys. Yeah, it's constantly being rotated and not very often that you have like, you know, quote unquote new blood brought in, brought into to the pool to to try things differently. Um and I I think what's most important here and I, I think some people uh misinterpret uh and oh, why are they only saying something now? There's no statute of limitations on when someone can decide to to speak up and in in this case it's a situation where there were people who spoke up but it never went anywhere but now like you said through the power of social media it's an opportunity to get your voice out there speak you know truth to power and try and bring bring change for the better and i think one of the most important things that i've seen from this is you know, Dan Carcillo, and there have been a lot of people who have tried to take shots at him, like, oh, you were a dirty player. You said some bad things. Yeah, I forgot you... whose take that was. I was surprised by that take. Yeah, but like he he's like, you know what? I've done some stupid things. I understand what I did was wrong. Yeah, um, let's, I, let's, I'm not asking for complete forgiveness from it. Yeah. I'm not, you know, asking Let people, people demonstrate to... growth. Let people ask, like grow and say like yeah you know i there were definitely things i did during my career that you know caused injuries in in players and now i'm a, a big advocate in transparency on you know traumatic brain injury you know we've had dan uh you know i've, I've interviewed dan we almost we tried to get him lined up on the podcast before um we had some signals crossed there uh with some other you know uh obligations he had at the time uh, but like uh, i've talked to dan and, and my impression on him is he's a very passionate guy he's v in my opinion he's an incredibly humble guy and i feel like those are important traits for someone who's demonstrated a lot of growth i'm not sure there's a guy or a person in hockey where that my opinion has changed so much for the positive after their playing career as my opinion has changed on dan carcillo like when I was growing up and, you know, beginning to write about hockey, he was a guy like when he was on the Rangers, I was fine with him. But when he was on other teams, he was just not my guy. Like it was easy to root against Dan Carcillo, but I have nothing but respect for him now based on what he's done, what he's dedicated his life to, you know, the way he presents himself. And like, do I agree with everything he says and all of his takes? No. Do I think he's demonstrated a tremendous amount of growth as a human being and that's what we should celebrate? Yeah. Anyway, Tom, we've I know we've gone pretty long the show. Yeah, I would say the if in not, you know, to um try to, you know, it's it's a very tough topic to like TLDR, but there's a lot of things coming out now. The NHL is trying to make sense of you know, what has happened and, you know, some systemic problems that may exist. And I think that as we go forward, we're going to learn a lot. 
Um, there'll always be some positives, there'll be some negatives, and hopefully it's something that allows the game to grow for the better. And, you know, people that have done some bad things that they're, they're held accountable. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, those who have been victims, they get some sense of, um, you know, I don't think closure is the right word, but at least just some yeah. validation that they were heard and that they were, were taken seriously. Yeah, and that's important. That's something that I think, the thing that I think has been the most encouraging, like we saw a former Carolina Hurricanes player, uh, Mikel Jordan, uh, who's a Czech player. Um, you know, he also, uh, you know, spoke up and talked about things he went through. You know, we've seen Franzen talk about it. Uh, you know, of course, Patrick O'Sullivan kind of circled back. You know, he talked about a lot of stuff he went through with coaches in his book. And I'm really hoping that players don't look at this and they see, you know, all the blowback and people who are like, oh, you know, why the hell is he saying it now? The reason that happens, like why guys wait, is because of that strong reaction that people have is like, you're just looking for attention. Tell me how Akimalu stands to gain anything by talking about this horrible, painful thing that happened when he was a very young man trying to make it in the NHL and the AHL. Like, what what possible way does he benefit from this? It's also the culture of the NHL too. This this sort of machismo aspect of oh, you're you know toughen up, you know just toughen deal up, with it and the take hazing it. Shit, the you know, you have to go through your lumps, kid. Uh, you know, there's old school guys. And, but, you know, we also have, there's a sport, Tom, where, you know, John Van Breesbrook was, you know, used a racial slur uh, towards Trevor Daly on multiple occasions. And he has a position of great influence in USA hockey. So, um, which is one of the reasons why, even though Van Breesbrook was a great goaltender and a great ranger while he was a ranger, I just, I wince when I hear his name because he just, has he is he someone who's demonstrated that he's gone through a lot of growth? I don't know. Um, anyway, I'll step off the soapbox. Uh, I hope it wasn't too much for you folks. Um, as always, thank you all so much for listening, but also a special extra juicy Thanksgiving leftover thank you to Adam Nahoek, Aiden Gaspar, Alex Gardner, Amrel Kistner, Andre Shikagov, Anthony Viola, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, who's uh, really one of the, the tremendous leaders of the Church of Kako. Bobby Callahan, can't believe I changed my name for Joe. It's never not funny. Uh, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris O'Connor, Clark Carroll. Just, God, I love that name. Clark Carroll. Clark Carroll. Uh, Craig Lachlan, Dan Carosi, Dan Zappor, Dana DeGen, Danny Santiago, David Elslinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, George Littman, Igor Zaslavsky, James Dangles, Jermaine Francis, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Keith Franchillo, Kyle Napolitano, Matt from Brooklyn, Michael Canick, Michael Marcus, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panera 2020, Patrick Landolt, Stieg Violbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Tin Man, Thomas Sosa, Toy from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all very, very much. Tom, you have any parting words for the lovely people? Thanks again, as always, for listening. Um, the next show we're going to record is obviously off the post but as always if you have thoughts on the show things you would like us to try um you know recently got an email which i forwarded to mike from uh from a listener of something they'd like us to try on the show um you know we yeah. love suggestions that's probably something that would be good for the summertime when there's not a lot of stuff going on um but we appreciate your feedback things that we can 
try and do better. Um, you know, yeah, talk to us. We like talking. I mean, yeah. we do a podcast for God's sakes. And, uh, and rate I, us on I, iTunes. Tell friends about our Patreon. Uh, if you're if you're one of our patrons and you've gotten a sexy sticker, show your sexy sticker to people. Make them jealous. Make them want a sexy sticker, and uh, maybe I'll send you another sticker. Who knows? Um, I guess that's it, Tom. Until next time. Until tomorrow, really, when Off the Post goes up. Be well, everyone. Take care.